Thank you for tuning in to Adversity University and welcome to class. Hey everyone, it's Sean. And before we get into the episode today, we want to talk about someone who's really special to us and really important in our lives. Luke Scioli is a great hockey player. He's played with all of us, trained with us in the summer. He's committed to play at Army West Point. So obviously he's a great person, great student to be able to be a division one athlete at Army West Point. And he unfortunately has found um, a tumor in his brain at 20 years old. So we are sending our thoughts and prayers to him and we really hope for a speedy recovery. I think that they found that it's non-cancerous, so that's definitely good news. And Garrett, anything to add about Luke's situation? Yeah, we'll put, I'm pretty sure there's a foundation um, to donate to help him and his family go through and navigate these tough times. Uh, don't feel inclined to donate, but if you don't, uh, say a prayer for Luke and his family. Yeah, we, we'll be throwing that fundraiser um, in the link for this episode, as well as our Instagram, too. Uh, that's from his team in the North American Hockey League, his Fairbanks Ice Dogs team up in Alaska. So shout out to them for being so supportive to him and his family and best of wishes and best of luck to him battling that. Moving on into today's episode, um, we had a great friend of ours from high school on, Jordan Pingle. She set a ton of records during her time at UCF Volleyball. I'm sure we'll get a picture of her trophy case up on the Instagram at some point. Uh, she had it right behind her during the interview. So that was pretty cool to look at, but just a great person. And she's been so mature from a very young age. Uh, I'm not surprised at all at all the success she's had. Garrett, what'd you think about the interview today? I thought it was great. Um, I think, you know, it's, we've had a lot of great interviews and I think that Jordan touched on some things that we hadn't heard before. And some things I have highlighted is everyone is important. And I think that that doesn't necessarily just have to be, uh, you don't have to be on a team to understand uh, that anywhere you work, you know, uh, a janitor does his job too. And just because you have a higher up position, you get paid more doesn't mean that you're above those people. And uh, if you think you are, you maybe need to take a look in the mirror and reevaluate re yourself. I think it's important to be humble and have some humility and get to know those people and know their names and their stories and what they've gone through in their life. And Jordan touches on that when she talks about being a leader and uh, you know, doing the little things right and getting to know people around the court. Um, some other things we have talked about is accountability. And I think one of the best ways to lead is leading by example in all facets of life, not just on the court. You can't hold others accountable um, if you don't hold yourself accountable. And then kind of the survival instinct and the mentality of fight or flight. And I don't want to dive too into detail on all these things. You'll hear it through the episode. But I think that you're really going to enjoy some of the topics that we talked about. Garrett, something you just touched on is it doesn't cost anything to be a good person, right? So I don't care if you're the CEO at a company, you you should be saying hello to those people who are, you know, involved in your corporation. You keep mentioning, you know, the janitor is just as important that everyone has a job to do. And even if yours is more important on paper, everyone's story is different and everyone has something very unique and special to add. So you should treat everyone the way that you would treat a superior, like treat everyone the way that you would treat someone that you really look up to. Yeah, everyone's story is important. Um, and it doesn't matter what position you are, you don't, you don't know what people are going through. And you don't know if that, hey, hello, how are you doing? Or what's your name? I think that it's very respectful to call somebody by their first name. Um, 
for example, not trying to put the spotlight on myself, but here at school, um, you know, we have calf workers and I noticed that they're a lot nicer with you when you call them by your first name and say, you know, Hey John, how's your, how's your day going today? Or how's your family doing? It's, it just shows that you care when you get to know people uh, personally. And I think it goes a long way. She's the writer of Unwritten Rules, as you guys will learn. So uh, she's Colorado Springs finest. We've known her for a long time. She's a really good friend of all of ours. And she's been true to herself. It's cool to see her after, what'd she say, like six years of living in Florida. First time we've actually sat down and talked to her. And I mean, just a great person, phenomenal athlete. And happy to see she's still being successful with COVID and the pandemic and being graduated at UCF, so. Let's kick it on over to Jordan Pingle. The Colorado Rampage are excited to announce a player development partnership with Power Edge Pro Hockey. PEP's reactive countering training concept is the type of innovative skill development that will greatly impact our organization. Developing players to the next level is the Colorado Rampage's number one priority, and incorporating PEP hockey into our training will help us get there. Visit their website at corampage.com. That's C-O-R-A-M-P-A-G-E.com. Be better today than you were yesterday and join the herd. Today's guest is a stellar volleyball player from the state of Colorado. In high school, she was a member of USA Volleyball's junior national team for three years. Moving into college, she rewrote the University of Central Florida record books for a libero. She holds four of the top five single season performances for digs including a single season record of 597. Adding those up, she's the all-time leader in digs at UCF with 2,262. She was an AVCA All-American in 2018 and the first libero to make All-American in program history. She also ranks ninth all-time in matches played with 128, which is the most by a night in the last 15 years. Thank you for joining Adversity University, Jordan Pingle. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm happy to be here. Jordan, how are you and where are you at these days? I'm doing well right now. I'm still in Orlando, um, about 10, 15 minutes away from UCF. And, you know, keeping busy, just start up a new career in real estate. So that is keeping me on my toes. Very cool. Yeah. Um, so just to give a little bit of background to some of the guests. You come from a very prestigious volleyball family. Your mom was a two-time MVP at Louisville and your dad was an all-conference player. And he also won coach of the year in 1991. Is it safe to assume the uh, the reason you got into volleyball at a young age was because of your parents? Yeah, definitely. My parents had a huge influence on uh, my bro- my brother's career and also my career because my brother played as well. Uh, I think we were in the gym probably the day after we were born. My parents owned a gym up in Indiana when we first were living up there. So they've had a huge impact on my career all throughout, always pushing me to be my best and um, always supporting me, attending all the games, traveling all the way to Orlando for most of my college career. So they've always been a huge support system for me. Is your brother older than you? And did he have a big impact too? Because in a similar situation, my dad was really big into hockey. He kind of pushed me and my brother into it. But uh, with my brother being older, I kind of followed in his footsteps. Was that similar? Or what's the age discrepancy between you and your brother? Yeah, so my brother is uh, two and a half years older than me. And, you know, every little sibling wants to be like their older sibling. And I always looked up to my brother. So I'd say he definitely um, was a motivation to me without probably even knowing it. I always wanted to pepper with him and hang out with him and play with him. So 
Um, he probably just saw more as, you know, hanging out as siblings, but I always kind of wanted to be just like him. Did he play in college too? Or what are the opportunities for men in the sport of volleyball? Um, he did not play in college. He ended up going a different route, but the sport of men's volleyball is definitely growing, same as uh, beach volleyball is. Um, so there's not as many opportunities as there's for women, but it is growing every day. And I mean, you've seen it somewhat in um, high school, Colorado, especially they're starting to grow their men's volleyball programs as well. So it's becoming more and more popular. And I think more universities are going to start opening teams up as well. Well, that's really cool and really unique that your family can share that together. Uh, your dad had a role coaching at USA Volleyball when you were growing up, correct? Um, yeah, he did more of kind of the behind the scenes work, not as much coaching, at least for my age group. Um, but he was like the senior director and kind of ran all the event side. And that kind of stuff did a lot more of the behind the scenes management type stuff. So looking at the flip side of the coin with your family being so involved, did you ever have to deal with people thinking you had extra or unfair opportunities because of who your dad was? Yeah, absolutely. And that was always hard for me as a kid to kind of understand like, well, I'm, I'm getting these opportunities because I'm earning them. Like I'm working hard for them, but people would always look at it and be like, oh, it's because of her last name. Like that kind of stuff was always difficult to deal with. So it came to a point where there's a lot of um, the USA tryouts, the initial one, I would go and I would use my middle name as my last name, just so people didn't know that my last name was my last name because I wanted to earn the spot. I didn't want it to be that people thought I got it just because my last name, I wanted them to know, like, she got it because she deserves it kind of thing. It's one of those blessing and a curse situations. And obviously, I think that you handled it very well and your family handled it very well. Um, and clearly, everything worked out, obviously. Playing volleyball at the level that you did is quite an accomplishment. Um, in your college career, as we mentioned, you played libero um, on your team at UCF. Can you describe this unique position in sports and how it may have changed your mindset during games? Yeah, definitely. So the libero is what we like to call kind of like the backcourt leader. Um, so anything defensive wise, I was in charge. So if a ball dropped anywhere, whether it was kind of in my area or not, it kind of fell back on me because I'm that defensive leader. So it kind of changes your mentality of like everything's got to get up. And if something drops, you got to figure out quickly who's going to pick it up next time, solve the issue and move on like all within the 30 seconds between points. So it takes a huge, like a leadership role. And my senior year, I was um, the only senior and captain and also libero. So it's like a lot of roles all at once that you kind of have to compartmentalize and handle them all differently. Um, but the role of libero is exciting. I always love to be that backcourt person that was like, you have no boundaries. Like you go and you pick up whatever ball you want. It's not like, here's your area, here's her area. It's go and get everything you can. And I think that's kind of the mentality that helped me get those records and break those digging records because it wasn't like, oh, she can get it. Like, no, I want to get it because I'm a libero. It's my job. So I think just like the aggressive mentality and the leadership mentality are two huge things for libero. You talked about how you get put into that defensive leadership position right away. You actually started as a freshman. Was it intimidating having senior girls that you were almost in charge of being the backcourt leader? Yeah, it was, it was hard at first, definitely kind of um, finding my voice and starting to learn not to be afraid to kind of speak up and maybe tell some of the older girls things that they don't really want to hear, but they need to hear. And that's kind of hard. And that's something I dealt with my entire career is learning to be that person that says those things that not everyone wants to hear, but they have to be said. 
And it was very hard, but I also, my freshman year, I had a really amazing senior captain. She was our setter and she was huge and just encouraging me and kept supporting me and anything I said, she always had my back. So she was a huge inspiration. I loved um, being there next to her and playing on the court next to her. This is something that we talked about with one of our other guests who was a goalie. Uh, there's an interesting dynamic with two goalies on the team, right? You're competing for that job, but you also have such a great relationship. When you took over the starting job, was the older libero on the team very helpful to you still? And did you have a good relationship? So the libero, she had been there and graduated right before I got there. But the girl who was supposed to kind of fill in her shoes, who was a senior that year, she had been DS for all the years before, which is defensive specialist. So she was supposed to kind of fill in that role. And it was a very tight competition in preseason with her. But she has the most amazing attitude and was always so helpful. So once I kind of beat her out for the spot and she was DS again for the year, she never had any hard feelings, um, never was very negative about it all, was so positive with me, so supportive. Like I still talk to her all the time nowadays. And she was seriously, I look back on things like that because there's so many people that would have taken that poorly and been kind of more selfish about it. And while she got the spot, she can kind of handle it. But she was such a good team person and really put the team above her own needs. And I definitely appreciate her for that. One of the big things that they talk about a lot in the recruitment process for hockey, at least, is how they care a lot about character. So obviously they want you to be a great player, but they really ask around to basically anyone they can about what your character is away from the rink because situations like that, you know, you never know what's going to happen. And if she took that poorly, I think it really would have messed up the entire dynamic. It might've been in your head a little bit. And I think the whole team could have suffered from it. Yeah, absolutely. I, they do the same in volleyball. They care a lot about your character and that includes like talking to your family members, um, checking your social media accounts, especially nowadays, social media is so big and, um, they do a lot of more background look into you before they even start looking at your volleyball skills at all. So it's definitely important to keep all around a good image going. You highlighted a couple of important things there and one Sean just kind of touched on, but another one I want to touch on is to your point, everybody is important on that team and everyone serves a purpose and a role on that team. And sometimes that may not be the role that they particularly wanted to serve. I'm sure that that girl wanted to beat you out and wanted to be the starter at that position but she swallowed her pride for the betterment of the team and as Sean just mentioned if you have someone that doesn't take that situation so well it really doesn't benefit the team at all and also doesn't benefit the individual so I think as soon as you kind of can for people that are listening out there swallow your pride continue to work hard towards your goals but don't let it get you too down and don't let it affect your relationship it's only gonna it's only gonna help the overall outlook of yourself as an individual and your teammates as the team as a whole and on you as well. I think those are very important things that you guys both just highlighted. Yeah. And I don't think I would be where I am today without her support my freshman year. I think it was huge having someone who had more experience than me, um, just being my biggest cheerleader on the bench, supporting me, excited for me when I made great digs, like and any time that her and I were playing on the court together, we had such a good team dynamic going because we trusted each other and we supported each other. And we wanted the best for each other. And I think that was a huge reason we ended up being successful. I got to give a lot of credit to people in those situations too, because it's not easy to come to the rink or to the court every single day when you're not playing and, you know, be able to cheer on your teammates and give a hundred percent in practice because you know that you're really not going to play. So I think a lot of credit has to go out there to those people that show up every day with a smile on their face and continue to gr grind through the adversity that they're facing. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree.
During your junior season, you tore your labrum in your hip. How are you able to grind out the remainder of this season and how did it affect you physically and mentally? Yeah, it was, it was really tough for me. It was kind of every day, it was this nonstop kind of deep nagging pain in my hip. And you don't realize how much you use your hip until you can't use it fully and you can't use it right. And I mean, I was in the training room a whole bunch, kind of doing as much rehab, prehab as I could just to last until the end of the season because I knew I was going to get surgery afterwards. Um, I had my hip wrapped for every practice, every game after I had torn it and just kept on going because I knew the team needed me. And, you know, surgery can wait, the hip can wait, let me finish out this year because we had a good year going and we were looking so good as a team and I wanted to keep going. And I mean, I'm naturally just super competitive and I don't want to ever stop until like I have to be carried off the court kind of thing. That was always my mentality. And so if they were like, yeah, you can keep playing. It's not going to feel great and it might make it worse, but you can keep playing. I was like, deal. Okay. I'm going to keep playing then. Like just getting that strength to mentally push through it. Um, I kind of already had that. I've pushed through the injuries and the adversity on that kind of part. It was more the after surgery, how it affected me mentally. Kind of the comeback is where it got me mentally. It was a lot more difficult than I expected because I mean, I was on crutches for two weeks and I couldn't walk. It was my leg was just dragging behind me. And I was like, I've never felt this feeling before. I feel so weak. I, I don't, I lost a lot of muscle in my leg. It was very difficult to kind of, especially as a female, you see like your body image changing. And that's, that's hard for any girl. That's hard for any athlete that's worked hard to put on the muscle and to trim up and to look good and to feel good. And that was hard for anyone. And um, it was really hard for me to go through that. And then starting to get back into volleyball and being like, whoa, I am so far from where I used to be. Like I have to rebuild all this skill back up. I have to pretty much relearn how to serve receive, relearn how to play defense. And then there was a time limit on it because, well, I want to be back for season next year. Like I don't want to have to sit out a year. And so it was just this balance of emotions going on and that kind of stuff. And it was definitely hard to just, I think mentally more overcome the, I'm not where I used to be and I've got to work 10 times harder to get back in time for my senior year and still work to even get better, not just be where I was. Cause I do want to get better every single year. It was a big mental hurdle to get over, but I had a lot of great teammates, um, the staff, the coaches, they were all super supportive, super awesome. So that was definitely something that helped. And it's funny because the girl who was supposed to be libero my freshman year who ended up being the DS, she actually had the exact same surgery as me about a year prior. And so I had been texting with her and be like, well, is this normal? What did you do for this? Like, and she was still, even after she had graduated, she had been gone, was still helping me, still had my back through it all. So she was a huge help as well. I was in a similar situation as Sean knows. I had to have bilateral hip surgery. Um, I had my hips done six, week, six weeks apart. Um, and everything you touched on, I went through. Um, our next question was kind of about rehab and the process. And you know, were you scared to come back? And you really touched on that. But one thing that I want to ask you about was when you're coming back through the rehab process and getting ready to play that first game or getting ready to practice, did you, did you ever like consciously realize how much work and effort it would take to get back to where you were? Because I remember, you know, after my second surgery, I was doing the rehab, I was doing the work. We were practicing, working out. I felt pretty good. And then I go and play our first game, and as Sean can attest to, there's nothing like game shape, unfortunately. 
And I was not ready to play that game. And mentally, I was like, no, I'm good. I'm fine. I'm going to be able to play. And then I had to sit back, reevaluate. And it was about another two months until I was actually physically in a good enough shape to be able to withstand at least a full game, if not back-to-back games on a weekend. So can you kind of touch on that and if you went went through or experienced similar things? Yeah, definitely. I think um, my first couple practices back, I, I was similar as you. Like mentally, I was like, yeah, I'm ready to get back. I'm tired of sitting on the sidelines. Like put me in coach. I'm ready to go. And, you know, we were playing and I was moving pretty well and I felt okay. And obviously my, my you kind of lose the touch for the ball a little bit. It kind of feels a little bit weird or not as normal. So that like, that was probably the first thing I noticed that, whoa, I got some work to do. Like that's just years and years of just touching the ball every single day and like sitting out for three, four months, you, you lose it quick. Um, but there was one, I think it was my first practice back and I was playing defense and I had stepped on something, whether it was like sweat or just a slick spot on the court and my leg kind of slipped back. And like, I felt the tug in my hip and like immediately, like, you know, you see that you get so scared, like more than anything, I don't think I was injured. I think I was just more in shock. Like, and that kind of made me think, Whoa, okay. I'm not there physically. I maybe I'm there mentally, but I need to slow my roll here. Kind of go step by step, go at whatever pace like I need to. I can't rush it. Um, so that's kind of where I started to get in with that and kind of you know, okay, I got to take it slow, one thing at a time, build off of it. You both have gone through it, and I remember watching Garrett his first time back on the ice after the surgery. He literally went out in a tracksuit while we were all like full gear, like a hundred percent, and he was just kind of doing a little free skate around the rink, a couple laps to try and get back into it. Was it frustrating at all having to get back to the basics? You were obviously very elite athletes. Is it frustrating not being able to do the simple things? Oh, absolutely. Especially um, because I was going into my senior year. And like I said, I was the only senior and we had, I think like seven freshmen or something like that. So I was the leader they referred to me as grandma like I was the captain I was this and yet I was having to go back and learn how to pass balls like it was so silly to me and it was so frustrating and they never I mean they never blamed me or harassed me for any of that kind of stuff never made fun of me they understood but to me like I was like man this stinks like I literally have to go back to the basics and blah 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 and like all this stuff and then I tried to put it in a different perspective okay maybe this is good for me maybe I do need to go back to the basics and relearn. It's always good to have like a little refresher review. So it was more me trying, I needed to change my mentality instead of being so negative on myself and being so hard thinking this will be good for me. I'll get it back sooner than I think. And I'll be fine. Like it's a good little refresher course for me. It's funny how you touched on, you know, and I touched on too, that we we both felt mentally ready, but I think even though that we want to say we're mentally ready, we weren't because you touched on slipping on the sweat a little bit. And it's crazy because before you go through the hip surgery, any injury at all, you could do something very similar and feel a little bit pain somewhere, maybe in your groin or your hip, the affected areas, and you'd be like, oh, that's not a big deal. But after you've just gone through the surgery, through the rehab, any tiny little bit of like micro pain, you automatically freak out. Like, is that something bad? Did I hurt my hip again? And I went through that a lot. And uh, I was very grateful for my athletic trainer who was very patient with me, like, Garrett, you're going to be okay. Like, I promise you're not going to hurt yourself type of thing. So I think we thought we were mentally there, but you have to let your body go through certain things and feel a certain way for you to get that comfortability back. Yeah. I mean, it definitely was scary and I don't feel like I'm an athlete that's ever scared to go into a situation. I love to go in headstrong, full on, like any challenge, bring it on kind of thing. But I mean, it was scary and 
you know, you think like, I'm doing my rehab right, but one little thing, I could re-tear it and I could have to get surgery again. I could have to go through the whole process all over again. Like, I don't want to go backwards. I want to go forwards. But yeah, it's definitely a hurdle to overcome. And I think just taking it step by step, like if you are injured or you are coming back from surgery, like just being patient with yourself, not rushing, like understanding that it is going to take time. Like you will get back to where you were. It just takes some time and some patience and relearning some things. And I think that the biggest thing I took from what you just said is mindset, because you can either look at it as, oh, this sucks, I'm out, everyone else is going to have fun and get better. Or you can look at it as, you know, getting back to these basics might be good for me. It's something I haven't worked on in a while. And the fact that you weren't able to play, you probably came back that much hungrier for your seizure season. Yeah, absolutely. I was so ready to go, like sitting out, watching a couple spring matches. I was like, man, I, I need to get back. I want to play. Like, and that also kind of um, refreshed my passion for the sport. Because, you know, when you play it every day, three, four hours a day, you, sort, you start to lose that love of the game a little bit here and there. And I mean, not everyone's the same, but I know for me, it was kind of like, all right, like one more year and then I'm done. Like I can do it. And then you know, I'm sitting out for a season. I'm like, no, I, I love this sport. Like, I don't want to stop. I want to keep going. I want to play. Like, I want to get back in there. So I think it was a kind of a blessing in disguise in that way as well. It just kind of gave me a reboot of my love for the sport and able to play one more year, I think was a huge blessing. Once you got over that hurdle, you were the captain of your team, your senior season. What would you say your leadership style was and how did you balance remaining a great friend, but also an authority figure to your teammates? So I definitely think one of my biggest things for leadership was leading by example. Um, I wanted to be one of the first people in the gym. I wanted to be one of the last ones to leave. I wanted to be that person that had to shag for other people or do the parts and drills that no one wanted to do or be the demo. Like I wanted to lead by example, especially with how young of a team we were. I think we had four upperclassmen total and that was it. And everybody else was underclass. So it was a lot of teaching and teaching fast because you know you got two weeks of preseason and then it's go time so there's not a lot of time to get these younger girls like in the physical and mental shape it takes to be a collegiate athlete especially um the freshmen came in and the first day they got there I was like I know these girls have such good skill levels like they are going to be huge assets to our team I'd seen videos I'd heard about them I was like this is going to be great but I don't want them coming and being like, woo, college, let's go wild. Like, no, we got to focus on volleyball first. So I remember the first day they showed up, I sat all the freshmen down like in the hallway and I was like, here's a packet of pretty much the unspoken rules of UCF volleyball that no one's ever written down before, but I went and took the time and wrote them all down for you. So you know what they are. And I was like, I know you guys have such high skill levels. You have such good potential and I will be harder on you than I am going to be on other people because I know you can take it and I know you need it. And I kind of just drilled into them. Like, I'm not going to take it easy on you because you're freshmen. Like I'm going to be harder on you because you're freshmen and because you guys are good. And I think that kind of helps them realize, okay, well, this is a lot more serious than we expected, but it also helps them keep each other accountable and think like, well, we can't do that because, you know, Jordan might yell at us. And yeah, there's a couple of times during season where, you know, you have to discipline for little minor things here and there, but you got to nip it in the butt before it becomes a bigger process. And 
So it was a lot about almost, and that's kind of why they called me like grandma or mom, because I had to pretty much mother a lot of them because they were so young and out of state and that kind of stuff. So that was difficult. But when it came to switching between kind of the leadership figure and the friend figure, that was super easy because everyone on the team was so lovable and great girls. And that was our best season that we had ever had. Like we were beaten up on teams. Like we beat USC when they were ranked seventh and like they were just such a good group of girls. It was easy to be their captain. And it was also easy to be their friend at the same time. Like I miss them so much. I'm still in contact with a lot of them. So it was, it was fun to have both roles. I think that combination of culture right off the bat that you set the tone and also the fact that you said you led by example is what allowed you to be a great friend, but also a great leader because they understood you weren't being hard on them just because you're a jerk, right? They they understood that you were being hard on them because you saw the potential and you've gone through it yourself and you're continuing to go through it. Like they talk about how the best players in the world are the ones who work the hardest. So I'm sure they saw you putting in the extra work, abiding by those rules that you took the time to write down. And it made it a lot easier to be like, okay, she is really just looking out for the best interest of the team and not like letting the power go to her head, you know? Yeah, definitely. I know that with a lot of freshman classes that come and play collegiate athletics, there's always that learning curve. But as a fall sport, you don't have time for a learning curve. Like you don't have time to wait a whole season before the freshmen kind of figure it out. And I knew that with these girls and I knew we needed them right away. So I was like, yeah, you guys don't really have time to take your sweet time figuring it out. Like you need to figure it out now. (laughs) So, I mean, it probably shocked them a little bit, but they took it really well. And I think every single freshman that came in ended up having a starting spot on the team and really played a huge impact in our NCAA birth and all that. As someone who would like to consider himself a leader, I think some things you really touch on that are great is accountability. But you're holding these other girls accountable, but you set the tone that you're going to hold yourself accountable. And you also showed humility too, in the sense that, like you said, you were shagging balls. I think that some people, when they get to that higher up authority figure type uh, spot, they think that they're above doing the little things and the little things that suck doing. And, you know, the little things that people don't want to do when you can easily say, freshmen, go pick up the balls or freshmen, go do this. But I think that one of the best ways to lead that I found is exactly what you just said, leading by example. But it's not just leading by example, by playing hard and being the first person in in the gym. It's by being humble and treating the people around you with respect and knowing the names of the janitors that clean up the gym and, you know, calling people by their first names and just leading an example in all facets of life. And when you do that, I think that it's easy to admire someone like that and put them high up as a role model and respect them as a captain. Whereas if you say you're going to do things or you only do it part of the time, it's very easy for people below you that are trying to look up to you say like, uh, they're not doing it all the time. They're trying to hold me accountable, but they don't hold themselves accountable. I'm not, I'm not going to listen to them. So I think that's a great style that you went about doing it in, captaining your team you you demanded respect but you showed respect to them and I think that's very important yeah I think um you touched on the little things and I'm a huge advocate of the little things because I think the little things can snowball into big things if they're not handled and I mean something so small as turning your jersey right side out when you have to give it to the equipment guy or putting everything on your loop before throwing it in like those were the little things that I really tried to instill in all the girls, like even the upperclassmen had issues doing that because it just wasn't 
really driven in before, but I was like, no, like we're going to do everything right. It's not just going to be what we do on the court. It's going to be what we do in the classroom, in the locker room, all that kind of stuff. It affects how we play. And I don't think a lot of people realize that, but it certainly does because it just builds that sort of self-discipline that you need in all areas of life. Garrett, you just reminded me of a story I heard about Shea Weber. He was a NHL captain in Nashville. And when he got traded to Montreal, um, he was walking his bag out to the bus for a road trip. And one of the players was like, what are you doing? The equipment guys will carry that out for you. And he said, no, that's not how we're going to do things here. And now everyone on the team carries their bag out, right? And it's such an easy thing for one person to do. And by doing it that way, now the equipment guy doesn't have to carry out 30 bags every single time there's a trip, right? So it's the little details like that. And like you say, it does affect how you play because when you take care of the details off the rink, you can just focus on the details on the rink, right? Or the court or the floor or whatever it may be. I love the details aspect. And I'm a, this one, I wouldn't even say cool, but kind of saying it's details build champions or details bring championships type of thing. And we talk about doing all the details, bring the snowball effect. But for me, in my mindset, if you have the details in the life, uh, when you go to practice, you're not going to miss on the little details that are so important because at the end of the day, it's the little details that's going to you know, get you the extra goal or get you the extra point. It's not this massive, huge thing that someone's going to do. It's because someone backchecked or you know, someone made out and made a diving play. It's going to be something so small and minuscule that ends up winning you the game. So if you can really dive into the details of your life and bring that and instill that into practice every day, it's only going to pan out into that bigger moment or that bigger opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. They say practice how you play, but I think it should be live how you play, right? Details all the time. Definitely. All those little things add up. So unfortunately, all of us have been uh, affected by the pandemic um, all in different ways. It has affected everyone differently. And unfortunately for you, you have lost your corporate events job. Um, what have you had to do for work in the, in the months since then? So the month I lost my job, it was kind of towards the end of March, I would say. Um, and I had originally thought about switching into sporting events towards April anyways. And then the pandemic hit and it shut down sports, it shut down everything. So I was like, okay. And I'm a huge planner. So when this hit and I had my whole plan, everything was set, like, and that hit and I had to change everything. I was like, oh man, I need to figure it out and figure it out fast. And nobody was hiring. Like, I mean, everybody was like, no, we're shutting down. We're shutting down. I was like, well, what do I do? Like I own a house. I have bills. Like I've got stuff I've got to pay. I got to feed myself. Like what am I supposed to do? So I started doing any little odds and ends job I could do. I was offering to babysit. I um, did DoorDash food delivery. I did Instacart grocery shopping delivery. Like I did everything I could just to make some change and to make ends meet and everything. And I mean, I was offering personal assistant jobs to people that worked out at my gym. Like I was just finding anything I could just to get through because I knew eventually like things would start to open back up. I could find a job. Like I just had to make it through and yeah, it wasn't fun all the time, but you got to make sacrifices in life. And that was one of the chances. And, um, then my mom had brought up to me a couple months ago, like, Hey, like, what would you think about real estate? What about real estate? Like, I think you'd be good in real estate. And I've always been told like I would be, um, I would do well in sales. I was like, oh, sales, like, I don't want to sell, like, whatever it is. I don't want to sell shampoo or some random thing. Like, I don't want to do that. Like, that's no fun. But I never thought about, you know, selling houses. And I've always loved HGTV and interior design. I've always loved that. But I was like, oh, selling houses, that, would, that could be kind of fun. And talked to a couple of people that I knew 
Um, one did um, real estate in new construction. One does real estate in just general real estate resale of homes. And I was like, oh, you know, I think this is right for me. So I ended up spending uh, a couple months in Cincinnati and that's kind of where I did my online education. So I did it in about six weeks and could do it at my own pace. And it was awesome. I learned so much. And I think it was a lot of good stuff that everyone should know when they eventually become a homeowner in general. Um, so I did that and studied for a couple of weeks, took my the state exam and passed, which was super exciting. And I had already had a job lined up with a brokerage for um, a couple who works out at the same gym as I do. So everything was kind of just falling into place. And so I was like, all right, all those months of door dashing, it was worth it. Like I have a job now. <laughs> so I've been doing that for about a month. And um, I mean, most people say it takes about six months to kind of start bringing in some income on that. I actually have my first client is closing on their property at the end of the month. So it's only been about four weeks or so. So that's Congratulations. exciting. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, congratulations. And I love, you didn't directly mention this, but the fight or flight instinct. And I know it's kind of weird to think about in the coronavirus, but like you said, you're trying to make ends meet. And I love that you had that survival instinct and that mentality that, you know, I can't really control what's happening to me right now, but I'm going to control the outcome. Um, whereas I think a lot of people going through this pandemic kind of sat back and was like, I'm going to kind of see what life does. Or when people started getting the checks from the government, they're like, I'm not going to go work. Um, and to be honest with you, I think that that's really hurt a lot of people. And I think a, a lot of people started complaining about, you know, not having the things that they need, but you didn't let something that was out of your control dictate your future um, and your earnings and protecting your own ass and making sure that you were staying safe. You found a way to do it. Um, and Sean knows this very well, but you willed it your, your way, which I think is great. And I think it's a something that we should note and touch on because when you get into those situations, if, if you're not fighting and you're just flying, you're not doing yourself or the people around you any good. Yeah, definitely. And I, I don't know if you guys know, but the Florida unemployment was a mess at the beginning of all this. And because I was actually uh, in the corporate events job, I was on contract. So I wasn't technically a full-time um, employee. So I actually wasn't eligible for Florida unemployment when I lost my job. So I didn't get that. I still haven't received my stimulus check. Like <laughs> it was just a mess. And I was like, I can't sit around and wait for it to come. Like, I don't have time for that. I will starve. I need to eat. <laughs> so I just, yeah, just make ends meet and do what you can. Switching gears a little bit here. You're currently in a long distance relationship. Do you have any advice for people out there who are in the same situation on how to make long distance relationships work? Yeah, so uh, my boyfriend, Joe, he started playing baseball at Notre Dame. So he is up in Indiana, um, quite different from Florida, up in the nice cold area for him. But when it comes to long distance, I mean, we have been dating for about three years now. Um, and we went from living together to now going long distance, which is super difficult. Um, but, you know, FaceTime is our best friend. And, you know, we're both super busy, like with me and I've got a job and I'm also coaching club volleyball and I'm trying to do all sorts of stuff, keep myself busy. And he's got baseball and all that stuff, but just carving out time in the day for each other, whether that's late at night for a 10 minute FaceTime call, just texting, whatever it is, like just still making time for each other, um, I think is huge for long distance. And I go up and visit when I can. Um, I was just there a couple of weeks ago, but 
yeah, it's, I mean, it's hard and it's expensive to travel. And so if that's not an option, like just being in contact and, um, trusting each other and trust is huge in long distance relationships. Um, just kind of knowing like, Hey, we're going to get through this. It'll be okay. Like you do your thing. I do mine. Cause Joe and I are not super like we have to be talking all the time. Like that's just not how we are. That's never how we really were. So it's usually like, you know, I don't really talk to him until it's the end of the day. And that's that. And it's totally fine because I love to hear about his day. He loves to hear about mine. And so it's just, you know, a process that, that you get used to. And obviously I wish he was here all the time still, but it's kind of also fun because then I, I have time to do all those things that maybe I wouldn't have before. I, I'm able to work from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. because I don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. So it's a good balance. One of the tips I got was to always have the next trip planned as well. So it's a lot easier to kind of get through it knowing, okay, at this date, whether it's two weeks or two months, like we are going to see each other again. And right now we're just kind of investing in ourselves until, you know, we can make the situation better. Right. Yeah, definitely. And I think still, um, even long distance, non-long distance relationships, it's so important, I think, to still pursue each other and still, you know, flirt with each other and, um, make them know that they're loved. Like, I think that's a huge thing I love to go with Joe is, you know, send him little notes or care packages or just send him a cute text in the morning. Just let him know like, Hey, I'm still thinking about you. I still love you. Like I know we're far apart, but we're doing great. And I'm always thinking about you and I can't wait to see you next kind of stuff. Jordan, after your college career came to an end, did you consider playing professional volleyball, beach volleyball, or pursuing the Olympics? Um, I did consider uh, playing pro because a lot of people do end up going pro. Um, the hard part is at the time to play pro, it had to be overseas. And that wasn't something I really wanted to do. If I was playing pro, I'd want to be in America. Um, so it was something I considered, but going across seas wasn't something that super interested me a lot. And I also kind of wanted to, this kind of sounds bad, but I wanted to have a life. <laughs> um, I wanted to be able to focus on a job, focus on a relationship, eventually, you know, build a family, that kind of stuff. And I didn't want to put that off kind of, I was ready to start a career. So that was probably the main reason I, I didn't want to play. I got, um, some interest from agents and that kind of stuff, but just never really was something that sparked my interest. And same with, um, USA was always super fun and that kind of stuff, but kind of the same thing. I was just, I was ready to, only play volleyball for fun, um, that kind of stuff. That's kind of where I wanted to be at, but I was ready to focus on a career. And um, after my last game of my career in the NCAA tournament, when we lost in the first round to a team that we had beaten twice already that season, um, it was a heart-wrenching game. And so it was kind of one of those that I needed some time to before I could even you know, step back on the court. It was hard to even go back into the gym for – kind of, you know, getting my gear, picking up last kind of stuff. It was very heartbreaking and hard to do. I think I cried for like 24 hours straight. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so it was, it was nice to take some time off. And um, I just recently started club coaching and that's kind of the first time I've been back in the gym for long periods of time and have been actually playing a little bit. And it's been fun to get back into it, but it was, I was glad I took some time off. Luckily for Garrett and myself, hockey is a winter sport, uh, but it pretty much runs throughout the entire school year. Whereas volleyball, as you mentioned, is only a fall sport. So you're at school training for a season that can be eight, nine months away. How do you stay focused on a goal that's so far away? 
Um, kind of just taking it day by day, week by week, um, setting mini goals. We like to do just this get 1% better today is kind of what we like to say in our gym. And that like, you know, you always have the spring games to look forward to and that stuff, but focusing really taking the spring off season, especially in those long, you got three hour practices, you know, you've got so much time. It's all right, let's break down all these little things that we didn't have time for in fall and let's really kick them into gear in spring and getting better because once fall hits, like there's just not a lot of time. You're, you maybe have two practices a week and then you've got a shortened serving pass the day before a game and you're traveling and you've got finals and homework and there's just so much stuff going on in fall. You don't have time to focus on all those little details and things. So in spring, it's nice to be able to break down a lot of the skills, a lot of the team uh, system work and that kind of stuff to be able to focus on it and just setting those mini goals like, okay, this week we're going to get this drill down. We're going to get 15 in a row of this, like just setting those goals along the way because you think, oh, spring, like I got a whole semester. That's plenty of time, but it goes like that. So taking it week by week and marking what you need to accomplish, I think was really big for our team. Well, Jordan, we can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast today. It's been great to catch up again after all these years. Uh, I don't think we mentioned it yet, but the four of us all went to high school together. So um, great hearing from you and seeing all your success. And we love learning from you about how you achieved it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been great um, catching up and I've been keeping an eye on all your podcast stuff. You guys are doing well. So it's, it's an honor to be here. <laughs> so can we just Thank you for listening to this episode of Adversity University. You can follow more news about Adversity University on our social media pages. Our Instagram handle is adversity underscore university. Our Twitter handle is adversity underscore UNIV. And our Facebook page is Adversity University. If you know of any high-level athlete or professional that has an interesting story of overcoming adversity and you think they should share it, you can email us at adversityuniversitytalkshow at gmail.com. You can also use that email if you are interested in becoming a sponsor for Adversity University. We look forward to bringing our listeners more content from interesting guests weekly, so stay tuned on social media to see who could be next and what our past guests are up to now.